Welcome to the Stories to Love podcast, the podcast where I fangirl over creators and find out all about their inspiration in hopes to boost our own inspiration. I am your host, Tiff Marcello, an inspiration seeker and your resident fangirl. Hi, everyone. This is Tiff of the Stories to Love podcast, and this is episode 58. Here with me today is Camille Pagan. Camille Pagan is the number one Amazon charts and Washington Post bestselling author of 10 books about love, relationships, and making the most out of this wonderfully messy life. She is also a master certified coach who helps aspiring to established authors create even better careers, the host of the You Should Write a Book podcast, and the founder of Even Better Co. You can learn about her at CamillePagan.com and EvenBetter.co. In this episode, Camille and I talk about her standing up for her book and her writing process, which is such gold. She also shares the path of her career from health journalist to novelist to mentoring and coaching. And of course, we discussed her most recent romance, Good For You. Camille is just a wealth of knowledge and inspiration. She's such a consummate professional and speaking to her really bolstered me. My gosh, I feel like I'm an author when I speak to her. She has a confidence that she projects onto whomever she speaks to. It was serendipity that she's our first guest on the podcast for 2023. Because in addition to discussing her book, we also talked about small tidbits about career planning and career progression. At the end of this episode, I was able to ask myself how I look at my career and what emotions I reach for when I tackle my everyday work. Because work, and especially work in the arts, isn't just about doing or writing or words. I mean, no work is its own island because we are people and we have feelings and fears. But I will argue that with the arts, there's an element of self-expression that can clash with business, which is what we do as working authors. And it sometimes creates a little bit of conflict. So anywho, I was inspired and I hoped you're able to take something back after listening to this episode so you can go forth and conquer your next project. I want to thank all of you who have subscribed to this podcast. If you haven't, I'd love it if you click to follow so you can get notifications of every new episode. And if you found this podcast helpful and fun, please leave a rating and review. It really helps to boost discoverability. For more information about me and submitting to this podcast, please head on to my website at tiffmarcello.com. And here we go to my in conversation with Camille Pagan. This is Tiff of the Stories to Love podcast, and here with me is Camille Pagan. Hi, Camille. Hi, Tiff. I'm so excited to be here. I am so excited that you're here. Camille and I have been friends for a while. She and I were tall poppy writers, and she has since left the tall poppies, but I have followed her career, and she's so fantastic. We're going to talk about her book, Good For You, which is your what novel? How many novels is this It's now? my ninth novel and my tenth book under my name. 
Yeah. I say that because oh. I've ghostwritten a lot of nonfiction for us. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes. All right. So we're going to talk about this too. I'm hoping to keep this episode as with all episodes about 30 minutes, but as you all know, sometimes I go over that. Good for you is a novel that is definitely, if you guys follow Camille's books, they are contemporary fiction. Good for you, I believe is a romance. And just, I want to talk about this move into romantic fiction and her life as a coach. So welcome, Camille. Thank you. Now, let's start off by telling us what Good For You is about. So it's the story of Allie, who is a woman who's about 34 years old and has her entire life wanted to be the editor-in-chief of this particular magazine. And she gets the job, but her brother has recently died. And everything is going swimmingly, or so she thinks. And one of her colleagues says something about her that she overhears, and she has just an epic meltdown in a very public place and is essentially put on leave. And during that time, finally, a year after her brother's death, nearly goes to deal with the house that he has left her. She's had her head in the sand this entire time. She arrives at the house and there is someone there and it happens to be her brother's best friend who also inherited the house. And if Allie had picked up the phone or answered the lawyer's emails or done any number of things, she would have known this, but she didn't. And they have essentially loathe it for sight. They cannot stand each other, but that doesn't last for long. So yes, it's very much a romance. Allie heals through the process of dealing with the house and also dealing with her new housemate, Wyatt. And it's just my favorite book that I've written since life and other near-death experiences. Really love yeah. this one. Yeah. I mean, it's it's such an exciting book because you. you've got two facets here. You've got her internal life that she's got to deal with. Yeah. Right? Because poor Allie, I really liked her as a character. And she's in denial. She's in mm -hmm. pure denial. As somebody who is a type A person, mm -hmm. I can see myself going down that road. I've I literally have, gone down that road. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, I have folks that have kind of, it's like bumpers and, you know, bumpers and bowling alley, right? Mm -hmm. Like I have folks that can bump me back toward, you know, yeah. back to, but if there was nobody to be those bumpers, yeah. I would just, <laughs> my type A brain will just take over. So you have Allie yeah. here and, uh, and she's going through it. And then she, yeah has to now face everything all at mm -hmm. once. You know, in contemporary fiction, you can delve into that and really go yeah. into the dark nitty gritty. Yeah. In romance, sometimes you, it's very hard to go down in the nitty gritty because you have to also talk about the romance, right? And, and follow that romantic arc. Yeah. So this book is a nice balance. So when you, you were writing it, Mm -hmm. Just in general, it, you know, as compared to your, to your other books, did it come easy? Did it come hard? Did yeah. you find yourself like veering towards back to contemporary fiction or what went no, on? It with was that? so easy. So for listeners, Tiff and I had this conversation probably four or five years ago where I was, I just said, I really want to write romance. That's what brought me to contemporary fiction, to books in general, as at least a young adult and adult reader. And I was very much branded as a women's fiction author, which is really stories centered around a strong character arc and the character's development as a singular person, as opposed to two. 
And so my publisher really encouraged me to stay there and in fact rejected a romance that I had turned into them. They said it was very much off brand. And so with this book, <laughs> to tell you the truth, I just told them either take this or I'll buy my contract out and take it elsewhere. Um, and they read it and loved it. And they were like, yes, you're absolutely right. This is the book that you should have written. You know, we're going to yeah. totally support you in this. And this book took me two months to write a draft because wow. that's what happens. I think when you let yourself write the story on your heart, instead of writing the thing that you're supposed to write. So it really has informed how I write now, where if I'm not feeling it, I'm not doing it. And I don't yeah. pick up and drop things very quickly. It's just kind of putting thought into the story ahead of time. And so as to make it easier and make it more enjoyable. I really don't think writing fiction has to be awful the way that yeah. kind of the story around it often is like, oh, just open up a vein and bleed all over the page. No, not for me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this this book was fun, right? Because Thank I was you. able to you know, think about Allie and think about what she's doing. But at the same time, there was this other person yeah. that like really balanced her out, like in all the mm -hmm. ways so you've got, I, you have several tropes going here. You've got yeah. opposites attract. So Wyatt mm -hmm. is her brother's best friend. Wyatt is so gentle with her, right? Yeah. And she's so hard on herself, hard on everything in general. Yeah. Very type A. And he's, he appears to be the opposite in the sense where he's a little bit more loosey-goosey, you know, not mm -hmm. very, you know, he's not very neat around the house. So, <laughs> yet. <laughs> and then you've got a just one house scenario because of an inheritance, yeah. right? This is something that, you know, I love, you know, people make fun of Hallmark all the time, but I love this trope. I love yeah, that. I do too. They have to come back and they have to deal with something yeah. specific. And so you have these real the, these tropes but they serve a purpose it's not just thrown in there just for the heck of it so yeah that's really how i form stories yeah i when i teach clients i don't do a lot of book editing i really am a mindset and career coach mm -hmm. but what i do inform clients of is just looking at plot versus protagonist so i never pick the tropes in advance i just think who is my my woman character that i'm writing about and once i know who she is what can i throw at her that's mm -hmm. going to give her enough tension to work through over the course of 250 to 300 pages. And I think that's why some stories don't work is because there's just no there there. Yeah. So I was just like, what would be really tough for Allie? Force yeah. proximity, yeah. this opposite character, the inheritance, all of that. It was just very natural. Yeah. You wrote the first draft in, in such a short amount of time, but of course mm -hmm. the editing takes a little bit longer. Yeah. So in dividing up that page count, did that come naturally to you, seeing that you wrote contemporary fiction for so long, where the page count is heavily towards the internal change, right? Yeah. Um, for that one character. And now you have this romance. Do you find the page count hard to to delineate? Because when I write romance... I do double check, like, okay, we're dealing with his issues or we're dealing mm -hmm. with her issues. Now, where are they in the romance? Let's see if we can address that because yeah. we have to continuously watch that romantic art. We want it to be realistic within that book, right? Yeah. So was it hard to keep that page count or to kind of divide that attention? No, it really felt intuitive, but I will say I'm not a pantser. I'm a plotter. Okay. And for me, I start with just a log line. That tells yeah. me, do I have a story on my hands? Then I will write the jacket copy, essentially, or what early writers would use as a query letter. 
mm-hmm. to make sure that I have a whole story there. That's my my trick for basically finding plot holes. Then I'll do a simple three act structure. You know, truly anything that you would Google for Pixar. What happens right. in the beginning? What happens in the middle? What happens in the end? And then I fill it out. And I'm not detailed down to every scene, but that way I can just tell: Do I have that central character arc as well as the romantic character arc there? And then whatever doesn't work, I fix in editing. Yeah. 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 I feel like editing is where really all the magic happens. Unfortunately. Um, yes. My favorite is drafting. <laughs> it's so hard. You know, I can write a first draft fairly quickly because I have everything in my head and I'm like, yeah. let me just get it out there. But the editing, I'm like, oh, this I is kind of painful. But yes. then, it, but then once you smooth things out, it's very, very rewarding. Right. To see the the story come together. You know, this you are not just a novelist. You said that you had ghostwritten nonfiction, but you also write medical articles. Yeah, I spent the first 20 years of my career as a health journalist and an editor. Last editing gig was as the health editor. Real simple. And during that time, I was primarily an independent journalist. I would also either book doctor or ghostwrite other people's books. So Books on everything from diabetes to why do I hate my mother, that kind of thing. I don't do any of that anymore, except for the occasional reported essay. But it's not a surprise that there's often a health element in my stories. I have noticed that. And that's why I was going to bring that. (laughs) Which I would argue anyone who's lucky to be alive long enough, like we will have some health issues or someone we know will be touched by those, but they're often part of the crisis that my characters undergo. Yeah. Um, well, I think yeah. it's real. I think yeah. that is, I, I do think it's real because sometimes those are the things that make you come to the table yeah. and say, let me take stock of my life. I think this is not contrived, you know, where I'm, I'm having, Thank you. it's not, it's not just, it is a real thing. And perhaps yeah. women, as we come into our forties, I'm 47. That is a, a yearly thing as yeah. we even go to get our mammograms. I'm like, yes. okay, I'm envisioning my life. There we go. <laughs> just going into getting my mammogram, right? I know. It's like, because it's just, that's the way life is. We are very lucky. I, I feel very lucky being, you know, reaching this age. I think that it. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, but, but it doesn't mean that we're not playing the scenarios in our head. And I think fiction is a good way to play these scenarios out. Yeah. Um, if you're a type A person like me who wants to go me through too. the gamut. Yes. I heard well, Jodi Picot that. say one time that she writes about things that she never wants to happen to her. Yeah. That I could be paraphrasing that poorly, but she essentially said, if I put it in the book, then I think I won't have to live it because I've already gone through it. My so, gosh. She's, she's just saying, what, like, oh, let me just talk about it and stress on it so it won't happen. I'm actually yeah. listening to Mad Honey right now. Um, oh, yeah. It is so good. Okay. I mean, I have to pick that Jody up. Pico is just... Each book, she brings something different to the table, and yet it is, even though it's there's mm-hmm. legal things going on in there, it's still very accessible. But I think it's because she's hearkening back to, you know, the innermost fear inside yes. of you. So you have had such a well-rounded career. You've got, Thank you've you. been a journalist, right? And then you've done nonfiction mm-hmm. as a ghostwriter, and then you're a novelist. And I know that you did a short story with Audible Originals, right? Yeah. Was that last Christmas? Or was it was Christmas two Christmases Christmas? ago. And then last year in October, I self-published it as a novella. So that was <gasps> so fun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was fun. That first scene, if you guys haven't listened or listened or read it, 
the first scene of that book, I'm like, oh my gosh, like we, we know what we're coming up to, right? Um, I like to put my characters through it, sadly. From the get go, Allie had it from the get go. It's like there is no mincing. So no, um, but I have never ever been told by an editor, oh, you wrote, you know, the first 30 pages as backstory. It's just not my storytelling instinct. I'm like, let's cut yeah. to the chase, drop us into the bad thing happening. Well, and then I let's feel get like out of it. Is, do you think that comes from being a journalist where you really like push, you push that, no that fluff. the hook right up yeah. front? I do think so much of the way that I write is informed by journalism in terms of the only time I ever missed a book deadline was when my grandmother who raised me died. And I was so embarrassed. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. And they, my team laughed at me like gently and lovingly, but they were like, other people do this all the time. You've never missed a deadline. (laughs) There's that. There's definitely this get right into the story and get going. There are pieces there too. Yeah. Well, we're going to segue over to the author coach um, yeah. part of you. So I went over to your author coaching website and I'm paraphrasing here where it says, you you know, you can go to, you'll go to a dinner and folks probably haven't heard of me, yeah. um, but you've made a career, right? Yes. And out of it. And I found that so, okay. So as an author, right, we're always trying to find readers, right? Mm-hmm. That is the thing. We write because we want to be read. That's right. And sometimes we get lost in the shuffle of what, what determines what success is. Mm-hmm. And so when I read that on your website, I said, you know what? There are so many books in the world and so many authors in the world, but success doesn't mean that you are a coffee table book and that everybody knows who you are. That's, That's not right. It. So tell me about this journey into coaching and when did it yeah. happen and why did you feel like you, you had that in you? So I think that too, in a way comes from journalism and that I love interviewing people and coaching is just a conversation driven practice that at least the way that I practice uses cognitive behavioral tools to help you understand what's going on in your head and what you can do to shift it. And of course I use a lot of career strategy too, but I was coaching even before I realized I was doing it. I called it mentoring and then I would meet with people regularly to help them strategize how to create a career. And about four years ago, I finally started calling it coaching. Mm -hmm. And I got certified as a general life coach. I already knew the career tools for becoming a career author, essentially. That's what I teach people to do, is to how do you make this into a career? Mm -hmm. And I needed the tools to help them with all of the stuff that comes up. So perfectionism, procrastination, imposter syndrome, all of the things that nearly all of us, except for sociopaths, go through, but that can really get in the way of your career. And mm-hmm. I found that because I had hired a coach. I It was around the time that my novel that I was like, oh, this is the one. I turned it into my publisher and they're like, yeah, no, this is not the one. We're not publishing this. And it just kind of flattened me. I thought about leaving yeah. the business and so I joined a group coaching program, very quickly hired a one-on-one coach fell in love with it, understood the concept of coaching. I do believe in working with a certified coach. I'm now master Mm -hmm. certified. I think that if you can do that, that's the better route because those are people who are trained to kind of use the tools of cognitive behavioral science. Just loved it. And then I got certified in 2020, got master certified this year. 
And my practice really blew up the minute I went into certification, not after I was certified. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. There's something about that commitment because I was like, oh, what am I doing? I have a successful fiction career. Is this weird? But I really love and am energized by helping other people. That's just who I am as a human being. So had to kind of deal with my own mental garbage. Started (laughs) one-on-one coaching. Yeah, like as I was telling Tiff earlier, free interview, you know, good coaches get coached. I get coached every week. It's very good for my brain because I can see other people's stuff, but not always my own. Right. And now do group coaching and we'll probably offer courses next year too. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. You know, it's, it's interesting how every step occurs a building, right? You start with one thing and then you, you end up changing and, and that's part of a career too is, yeah, is being able to see that there are, you can make change. You don't have to stay in one genre. You don't have to stay in one category. You don't have to stay in one facet. But do you find it now? Okay. So you don't do as much, you don't do as much journalism, but. Now that you are splitting your time between mm-hmm. writing and, of course, coaching, do you do you still feel the love for both, or are you drawn towards one or the other, or do you find it hard? How is that transition? I've never not had two careers, and I really feel that it serves me as a person. I am like you, very type A. I don't like to be bored. I don't like to be not busy. But I have noticed, at least for me, and this is true for most of the people I've worked with too. At this point, I've worked with hundreds of writers. The majority of people can't write beyond four hours a day Mm -hmm. at some point or when they do the next day or two days, there's a real cost to it or they're not producing. So in a way, I write all morning and then I coach and do marketing in the afternoon. It's the perfect schedule. I never feel like I'm wasting time. And there's also not that feeling of, oh, I should be writing. Yeah. Because I'm like, no, I'm just running the other part of my business right now. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. And that is actually true. Like I tried to push that four or five hour mark mm-hmm. and it really doesn't. It's not even worth it. Diminishing because returns. The, next, the yeah. next day I'm like wasted. It's yes. like I had like I, I, I had shots the night before. I'm just out. <laughs> it's the writing hangover. Yeah. So it's almost better. Sometimes my sweet spot is almost at three and a half hours, you know, not yeah. even at four where I'm still really excited and yes. then, and then I put time toward all my admin so I can complete my admin. Yeah. So that the next morning I'm not thinking about my admin. Yeah. It's because perfect. sometimes, you know, thinking about what is left on the table kind of bothers me. And then you write the next day. So I, I love, I love that. And I love that you say that you are also being coached yeah. and the idea of the connection of, you know, we need people too. you know, it's sort of like Allie, right? Yeah. Allie needed. Need somebody too, We're and need somebody. Beings. That's right, and and somebody that that's not exactly like them, you know. Yeah. So, Allie needed Wyatt. Allie needed even her mother in yeah. this weird way because you know she thought that she and her mom just did not have a relationship, right? Yep. And even toward the end of this book, we see that resolution between her and her mom, which yeah. I think almost ties up everything about this book because part of i know that we're totally wine going down this winding road back to the book but you know part of a romance for me Mm -hmm. is making sure all those loose ends are tied up Mm -hmm. in some way yeah because i need to be able to walk away from the book feeling good about 
you know, my protagonist state. Like yes. I need to know that they are, they are okay. And yeah. I have to say that that was that tough to loop in for those of you out there. Good for you. So Allie has this relationship, a very, very strained relationship with his, with her mother. Yes. And no um, relationship with her father who was abusive. Mm-hmm. And it was a f- very careful balancing act mm-hmm. to make it both satisfying and realistic. So I've worked in the abuse space a lot professionally earlier in my career, have a f- personal history of trauma. So in a way, it was really intuitive to write this. And yet yeah. I also had to be mindful of the fact that it is fiction, but you want it to feel realistic enough and not in a way offensive. I really dislike books where character has a history of abuse as one in three to four women will have, right? This is not an unusual thing. And there's just this magical reunion and everything is perfect. And suddenly her trauma is gone. Like that drives me bonkers. So I wanted to not do that, but also give Allie the opportunity to heal. So, right. Yeah. And I think sometimes, I think what folks don't realize is that sometimes that happily ever after is a happily for now. That's right. Yep. Understanding that there is a step in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And for me, as a person who reads a lot, I also know that that's not the end of the road. For me, like the romance and the happily ever after is really a snapshot of a certain amount of time from the beginning mm-hmm. of the romance when it, when it begins yeah. And the part of the romance where things are really good, mm-hmm. knowing that, right, when people get together, they might, or let's say the end of the book is a wedding, that they still have, you know, the next year to figure out if they can really live together. Right? <laughs> and then find Best out. Best of like, luck, kids. Yeah. Like, <laughs> for for me and my husband, it was year two. Like, we were yeah. like, you know, where you're really struggling and then you still have to get that. And that's another story. That That's like a struggling marriage story. And then yeah. the happily ever after is them, you know, figuring how to work that out. So yeah. it was really nice that, that Allie was able to have that kind of that roundup with her mom, you yeah. know, Thank you. which is super important. Okay. So what is in the pipeline now? What's going on with you? So I'm working on another book. Also, I would say strong romance elements, probably just flat out romance mm-hmm. more than any of the others. There's both the female and the male point of view, which I've never done before. Really fun. And I am working on a book on how to write a book and basically how to make a career out of it. So I'm excited about that. Fantastic. Is is that something that will be traditionally published or are you going to self-publish? No, I will self-publish that. I love self-publishing. I've done two books. I republished my debut and also the novella. And I just love the model there and the speed, especially for something like a how-to I don't want to wait, you know, 18 months to put out something like that when I'm like, this could help people tomorrow. So let's do that. Yeah, for sure. And and with eBooks and let's say information changes, you can update, which is what I see a lot of people doing. And I'm like, that's fantastic. It's you know where where they can update information and hey, you Mm -hmm. want you guys want to download the you know the most recent or yeah or whatnot. Wow. Yeah. So the next next novel. Mm-hmm. When is that? Is there a date for that? No, I haven't sold. So I'm okay. kind of debating, will that be traditional or self? Don't yeah. know yet. Fantastic. Stay tuned. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Thank you. And then what are you reading right now? Oh, so I am reading Maddie Dawson's Snap Out of It. And Fantastic. I, she's a colleague of mine and I just adore her. I think I've read all of her books and yeah. they feel like comfort food, but like really healthy comfort food. Yeah. <laughs> 
Like I just had something that was good for me, but it was delicious. And I <laughs> that's a great. It last that, night. Now that is like a that's a blurb. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'll tell her because I just like I was like I'll just read a couple chapters, and I'm like halfway through this book. I just couldn't stop reading. She's so great, and I'm reading a Lisa Kleipas novel that someone. <sighs> I hadn't read her and I feel like the last person on the planet. Oh my God. So my girlfriend who yeah. also writes fiction, she's like, start with Devil in Winter, thank me later. And I'm like, yes, <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. And yeah. there have been times that I've, with a Lisa Kleypas book, I mm-hmm. listen to it and read it at the same time. Oh, okay. Because the narrator that she uses, I forget her name, but it's the same one. Okay. She just does such a magnificent job. And if you're an audiobook aficionado, I guess. I love them. She's, I'm just like, I just want more. Please have, I need more of her in my ear. Okay. And my final question Mm -hmm. is, and I ask this of all the guests is what makes you go? So Mm. what are the things like in this long career that you've had, what are the things that, that keep you going with through the ups and downs? So I think the long career part is important because, you know, you and I have been at this for a while And certainly, as we've discussed before, a lot of our peers that we began with have just kind of fallen off the map. And I think that if you look at fiction as a career, as a long game, it changes the way that you show up for it, which then ups the odds that you'll succeed. We get really hung up a lot of times, and this is totally normal on one book. But what I tell my clients is really like, look at your body of work. It takes the pressure off of any one project. And then when you realize, Success is basically staying in the game. It just changes everything. Yeah. So to do that, I think about mission. So my mission is to inspire other people to live their best lives. Don't care how Oprah-y that sounds. It's totally the truth. I think that's why both as a coach and a speaker and as a novelist, that's what I'm here to do. So I think about that a lot. But then those reader emails, like those, I keep them all. The ones where they're like, you know, I just had to read this. And you never know who they're going to be from. So when I wrote this one book, Woman Last Seen in Her 30s, it's about a mm-hmm. 53-year-old divorcee who finds herself, she finds a little bit of love, but it's basically about her finding herself. I got all of these emails from women in their early 30s who just recently divorced. And they were all like, I needed to read this. I could never have known that when I was writing that book. Right. So I always right. just remember like someone out there needs to read this. It's probably not the person you have in mind. That's why I never do those like, imagine your ideal reader. Where does she live? How many children does she have? Yeah, like, you don't know. It's not your job to know. Yeah. It's your job to do the story that is on your heart and go write it and send it out and know that that person who's supposed to read it will read it. So that's really oh, what keeps it. me going. I love it. I love it. I love it. I, I think it's yeah. just, I love that you had, you mentioned that success is really staying in the game because yep. it really focuses on the journey rather than the destination, which mm-hmm. I think that a lot of authors to include me in the beginning, like this is the goal, you know, yeah. and for anybody that's goal oriented, that's the natural way to go. And absolutely to be able to switch that mindset of no, this, the goal is to stay on the road and like, to enjoy the road. Yeah. There's so much about writing being painful and awful. And that's just what you signed up for. Yeah. Life is way too short. We know this, you know, I've lost a lot of friends way too early as many of us have. And I don't want to hate what I'm doing. Otherwise, I'd be an accountant or an attorney. I mean, honestly, (laughs) I know that there are hard parts of this, but it's mostly enjoyable. And I think we can design it that way, regardless of what you write, 
how you write, how fast, whatever, whether you'd like social media or not, you can design it in a way that works for you. That's a hundred percent available to you. Oh my gosh. Well, Camille, this has been an amazing conversation. Thank Too short. Said. I know. But, and, and you know, folks out there, Camille has a podcast. Can you, can you tell us a little bit? More oh yeah. About my podcast is you should write a book. It's coaching conversation. So if you're at all curious about what coaching sounds like with an author coach, with a kind of mindset and career focus, you can listen and hear that. And if you want free coaching, you can come on the podcast at any time. It's yeah. just a nice, accessible way to help more people. Zero fee, no catch. And you don't have to use your name either. Some people just go by an initial. Well, I've listened to like, I think three episodes and I want to tell everyone that Camille is so calm. Oh, thank and you. And so you're so calm on this, <laughs> on these coaching calls. And then the person that calls in with their question finds their answer. Like, mm -hmm. oh yeah, it works. There is a power in this <laughs> because you're, you're asking questions like leading questions, like that, but not too vague. Yeah. Right. Um, just enough so it's a focused question on on what they're feeling or whatnot about their career. Yeah, and they find their answer, and I'm like, it's almost like it's almost like taking a rat, you know, thing out of a hat. I was like, oh, yeah, that's it's it's really it's not advice based. I mean, every once in a while, I will share some industry knowledge. Yeah, for example, I'm not a big fan of hybrid publishing. I'm not secretive about that, and I will just say, listen, here's why. Yeah. If you want to keep this in mind, or it may take 18 months to get traditionally published, keep that in mind. But mostly I'm just asking them questions to get clear yeah. on what they want and the best way for them to do that. Because blanket yeah. advice, it just doesn't really work. No, no, it really doesn't because everybody's pretty stubborn. Like folks are yes. stubborn, like even the ones that are asking for questions, right? It's, yes. Most people have their, their state of mind. Yeah. They Which is great. Mind. We can run with yeah. that. Not Fantastic. a problem. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, thank you so much, everyone. Thank you so much, Camille. Thank you. Oh my for gosh. Thank you, Tiff. At the Stories to Love podcast. And then we'll see you again. Bye. Thank you so much for joining me, Tiff Marcello, at the Stories to Love podcast. You can follow me through my newsletter at tiffmarcello.com an Instagram and Facebook page under Tiff Marcello and the Stories to Love podcast. You can support this podcast by leaving a rating, spreading the word, and picking up one of my books for you and a friend on my website at tiffmarcello.com. I'll see you again.